Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today we are looking at Mark chapter 16 verses 15 to 18. So that's the reading you'll hear if you go to Mass today. So here's the text of Mark 16. Jesus showed himself to the eleven and said to them, Go out to the whole world, proclaim the good news to all creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. These are the signs that will be associated with believers. In my name they will cast out devils, they will have the gift of tongues, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and be unharmed should they drink deadly poison. They will lay their hands on the sick who will recover. So that's the text we're looking at today. We're right at the end of Mark's Gospel. Now, it's important to say up front there's a lot of controversy about this particular part of Mark. The second half of chapter 16 of Mark, which is the end of Mark, is part of what's called the longer ending of Mark. And scholars think that possibly these verses might have been added later by someone other than Mark uh, as like an additional extension to his gospel. The evidence for that is not conclusive. Uh, there's some evidence for it. Some manuscripts have these verses, some manuscripts don't. Uh, but it is the text that is accepted as inspired by the Catholic Church. So what's the context here in Mark 16? So by now, Jesus has risen from the dead, and we're looking here at one of Jesus' final appearances to the apostles before he ascends into heaven. The words that we hear in in these verses are actually the last time Jesus speaks in the gospel. These are kind of like his final instructions for the apostles. So it says Jesus showed himself or another translation is he appeared. So it sounds like this is like a surprise appearance by Jesus. They weren't expecting him and he's appearing to the 11. So by this point, Judas has died. There's only 11 apostles. So he says to them, go out to the whole world. So this is a command for the apostles to travel throughout the entire known world, not just Israel. Up till this point, they've been moving around Israel, but now he says it's time to go to the whole world. And we find out later in the book of Acts that they do that shortly after they receive the Holy Spirit. He says to them, proclaim the good news. So good news, remember, means gospel. Uh, And this, as we learned from earlier in the gospels, he's talking about the good news of the kingdom of God, the message that the kingdom of God has arrived. So the reign of Satan is over and the long-awaited reign of God has arrived. That's the message, the fundamental message that he's been proclaiming and that he wants the apostles to proclaim. And he says they need to proclaim it to all creation or another translation is to every creature. This is a hyperbole. Sometimes Jesus does this where he exaggerates in order to make a point. And this sounds like one of those ones. He doesn't actually intend for the apostles to preach to every animal and plant. Uh, It's a way of saying preach to every man, every person, including Gentiles. Verse 16, Jesus now gives us a teaching. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So this tells us a few things. When a person comes to believe in the good news of the kingdom, so the apostles are going to travel around, they're going to meet people, the apostles are going to preach and present the message. And Jesus says someone who believes, 
He expects them to then be baptized. That's Jesus' expectation. If you believe, then you need to get baptized. Also, there's uh, important to unpack the word believe. It doesn't mean intellectual assent, as in, yes, I agree with that tick. In this context, believe means to put your trust in, put your trust in the message of the gospel, to surrender your trust and your life to God. That's kind of the idea that Jesus has when he's talking about believing. Because we know that even the demons believe and tremble. So they have intellectual assent, but they don't have the kind of belief that Jesus is looking for. If they do those things, if they believe and are baptized, they will be saved. So what does Jesus mean here by saved? It can mean different things, the word saved. Probably in this context, Jesus is saying that if they put their trust in God, they'll be saved from the reign of Satan and brought into the family and the reign of God. So a person can only do that with God's grace. A person can't get into the kingdom of God by themselves, but with God's grace, they can. But they still need to actively choose to trust in the good news. That's the Catholic teaching, is it's God's grace all the way, but the person has to cooperate. And then Jesus says the flip side of that, he does not who does not believe will be condemned. So in context, that means those who have the good news preached to them by the apostles, but then refuse to believe what they hear or trust in the message, will not be admitted entry into the kingdom of God. You can't hear the message and then knowingly reject it. And that's developed further in the catechism as well. This particular teaching here about baptism and salvation gets unpacked quite a bit uh, as a key verse in our understanding of salvation. He then moves on to the second half of his speech here, and he says, these are the signs that will be associated believers. So Jesus is going to go on to list some things that Christians as a whole, as a group, will be able to do in the early years of the kingdom of God. So Jesus here is making a prophecy of some things that Christians will soon do in the coming years. He's not implying that every Christian in every age will be able to do these things. They're not permanent signs. They're not necessarily for every person. He is saying, though, that in the coming years, after this, after he says these things, the world will be able to see these signs associated with Christians in general. These signs will follow Christians. And it's an important time in salvation history. These, uh, and often scholars talk about the 40 years from AD 30 to AD 70, are when the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. It's an important period of salvation transition. And the Holy Spirit is very active in this time. He goes on, In my name they will cast out devils. So earlier in the Gospel of Mark, the apostles were given the gift of exorcism, and now Jesus extends this to more believers. So this is a supernatural gift, the ability to cast out demons in Jesus' name. Apparently it's only given to some people. It was quite prominent in the early years of the kingdom of God. A lot of key Christians could do this. And there's some interesting quotes from history that tell us that there were people that were possessed with strong demons and the only people who could exercise them were Christians. The rabbis couldn't do it. The Roman witches couldn't do it. But the Christians did have the power to exercise. So this gift was certainly carried out in the early church. Secondly, they'll have the gift of tongues, or another translation is they shall speak with new tongues. So what that means is God's going to give them a new language to speak that they haven't been able to speak before. So it's a supernatural gift. 
probably for the purpose of spreading the good news to other nations. Primarily, we see this at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, but Paul's epistles, which is, you know, 20 years on from this saying of Jesus, indicates that the gift is still around, the gift of tongues still exists. Verse 18, they'll pick up snakes in their hands. This is a bit of a strange one. Um, Normally, a snake would bite a person if they tried to pick them up. But apparently, some Christians were preserved from death. We don't have a whole lot of records of this, but we know it happened to Paul in Acts 28, verse 3 to 6. He picks up a snake and he... Oh, sorry, he is bitten, but it has no effect on him. So, apparently, other Christians had that same gift. And they'll be unharmed should they drink any deadly poison. We know that many Christians were persecuted for their faith, and some people tried to kill them. Even family members would sometimes try and find ways to uh, get rid of them, perhaps by poisoning. And so Jesus tells us here that some Christians would be immune from this kind of death. So the picture we're getting is that in the 40 years after this, that the world was noticing that the Christians have these gifts. They can cast out demons, they aren't being killed by snakes, some people are surviving poisoning. And then the last thing he says the Christians will do is they will lay their hands on the sick who will recover. And in fact, that's the normal way the early church performed healings, is they would lay hands on people. The laying of hands conveys this idea of Jesus' power being physically transferred to another person. So all these signs, the things that Jesus listed, are not just for fun, to do like amazing miracles to amaze people. They're supposed to be signs for the kingdom of God. It's to help people understand the kingdom of God and to spread it further. These signs are all indications or evidence for people that the kingdom of God has indeed come. So the kingdom of God has started and now Jesus says, do these signs so that people know that the kingdom of God is legit. It's here. So God is, by doing these physical things that you could say turn back the clock of evil, the apostles are showing that God has overturned the powers of sin and corruption and that the reign of God and the reign of goodness has indeed come. That's the whole point. The signs, the miracles are supposed to be indicators of a deeper spiritual spiritual reality that the kingdom of God has come. So that's our text. And if you read on in Mark 16, there's a few more verses and Jesus goes back to heaven. And that's about it. That's the end of the gospel of Mark. Now, there's quite a few verses, uh, sorry, paragraphs of the catechism where this teaching is developed. It has a lot to say about baptism and faith. They see this, the church sees this as a key passage in telling us about how to achieve salvation. So I just want to read out a few of the passages that are really key in helping us understand Catholic teaching, but I'll put all these paragraphs in the show notes as well. Paragraph 183, which is in the section about faith says, faith is necessary for salvation. The Lord himself affirms, quote, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So that's the paragraph, a short little paragraph, and you'll hear that it's directly quoting from Mark 16. Paragraph 1257, which is about the necessity of baptism, says, the Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation. He also commands his disciples to proclaim the gospel to all nations and to baptize them. 
baptism is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have had the possibility of asking for this sacrament. The church does not know of any other means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. That is why she takes care not to neglect the mission she has received from the Lord to see that all who can be baptized are reborn of water and of the Spirit. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments. So I really like that paragraph, and it tells us a lot. It tells us that baptism is necessary for salvation for those who understand the importance of baptism. That's what the paragraph tells us. And that the church has a responsibility to give baptism to all who ask of it. And that last bit there is so important in understanding teaching on salvation. The Catholic Church's teaching is not that there is no possible way to be saved apart from baptism, just that it's the only known guaranteed way of putting us right with God. And even that needs to be unpacked further because Catholic teaching is you can you can lose your salvation. Uh, but that last quote is really important in understanding the sacraments. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments. So God is guaranteed to give us his grace through baptism, but God, being the infinite God, is not restricted to just using baptism. Paragraph 1507, which is about healing the sick, says, The risen Lord renews this mission. In my name, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover, and confirms it through the signs that the church performs by invoking his name. These signs demonstrate in a special way that Jesus is truly God who saves. And again, you'll hear there a quote from Mark 16. Lastly, in paragraph 699, there's a discussion about the importance of hands as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So the start of that paragraph, 699, says, The hand. Jesus heals the sick and blesses little children by laying hands on them. In his name, the apostles will do the same. And of course, that's a reference to Mark 16, where Jesus says you must lay hands on the sick and cure them, and that will be a sign of the kingdom of God. That's our podcast for today. Hopefully you learned something new from Mark 16, a really interesting passage, which tells us a lot about how Jesus wants the church to operate, particularly in those early centuries after he went back to heaven. Okay, thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll see you again tomorrow.